This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America, brought to you through the cooperation of the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, and Link TV. And now, here's host Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. This week, we look ahead to the summer trip through the Andes by Pope Francis and the issues it raises. But first, Sarah Hancock has our weekly review of news from around Latin America. This week, Cuba and the United States announced they will open embassies in Washington, D.C. and Havana and officially restore diplomatic relations later this month. President Barack Obama said both countries would no longer be prisoners to the policies of the past. The progress that we mark today is yet another demonstration that we don't have to be imprisoned by the past. When something isn't working, we can and will change. The U.S. broke off diplomatic relations with Cuba during the Eisenhower administration 56 years ago, but the U.S. did not formally close the embassy until 1961. The U.S. still maintains an economic embargo against the communist country. However, President Obama has urged Congress to end that policy. Puerto Rico slipped closer to defaulting on its debts this week, and the island's governor admitted he did not see a way toward repayment. In a televised speech to the U.S. territory, Governor Alejandro Garcia Padilla said he is appointing a special committee to negotiate with bondholders and creditors. With transparency and consensus, the committee will begin talks to achieve a restructuring of public debt. The goal will be to achieve a negotiated moratorium on debt payments to bondholders for a number of years so that this money can be invested here in Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico owes at least $72 billion in public debt. The Obama administration backs a plan to give the island the same right as states to restructure its debts. However, the U.S. Congress must approve that plan, and many members of Congress are not in favor of bailing out Puerto Rico. President Dilma Rousseff of Brazil struck several deals with President Obama this week, including a joint environmental agreement on using more renewable energy and reducing greenhouse gases. The countries also announced progress on joint trade and investment projects. Rousseff says relations between the two countries have improved, and the spy scandal that delayed her trip for almost two years is now history. The change is particularly due to the fact that President Obama and the U.S. government have stated on several occasions that they would no longer engage in intrusive acts of spying friendly countries. I believe President Obama. And furthermore, he has told me that, you know, if he needed, should he ever need non-public information about Brazil, he would just pick up the phone and call me. During her trip, Rousseff also met with investors and businesses in New York and California to discuss potential deals in Brazil. Brazil is suffering through a recession, and Rousseff's administration is facing corruption scandals. Her approval rating has shrunk to just 10 percent. More fallout this week for U.S. businessman and Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump. The fallout is from comments Trump made about unauthorized Mexican workers in the U.S. He blamed them for increased crime rates in the U.S., including for drug use and rape. Mexico's largest television network, Televisa, severed its relations with Trump and canceled its showing and distribution of the Miss Universe pageant. Trump is a co-owner of the pageant. 
Televisa is one of the largest distributors of television content in Latin America, so its decision could resonate beyond Mexico. Televisa's action came after U.S. Spanish-language network Univision also cut its connections to Trump and his pageants, which include the Miss USA contest. U.S. network NBC, which co-owns the pageants, said it too was dissolving its connections to Trump. In response, Trump filed suit against Univision, and he said he is considering legal actions against the other networks. Mexico's Televisa labeled Trump's opinions as racist and xenophobic. The Bolivian government is preparing a special treat for Pope Francis, coca leaves. Yes, coca is the plant that produces cocaine. But people in Bolivia have used that plant as part of religious, political, and business ceremonies for thousands of years before cocaine became illegal. The president of Bolivia, Evo Morales, is even a former coca grower. A Bolivian government minister says he inquired whether the Pope wants to share coca tea with the president when they visit next week. And he says the Pope not only agreed, but also asked if he could chew the leaves. Chewing coca leaves is often associated with sacred indigenous religious ceremonies. Although the Bolivians are happy to grant the Pope's wishes, the Vatican has yet to confirm if the coca ceremony will actually happen. We'll have more on the Pope's trip to Bolivia and the Andes coming up. For Latin Pulse, I'm Sierra Hancock. Thanks, Sierra. And now our preview of the Pope's trip to the Andes. Later this weekend, Pope Francis will set out for a nine-day tour of three countries, Ecuador, Bolivia, and Paraguay. We asked Joshua McElwee, the Vatican correspondent of the National Catholic Reporter, for analysis of the Pope's trip. McElwee joined us via Skype from Rome. Well, this is going to be the first time that Pope Francis, who is an Argentine, will be going back to the continent uh, outside of his trip to Brazil uh, right after he was elected for World Youth Day. Um, and a lot of people are looking to it to wonder what this Pope from Latin America, what message he might be delivering back to that continent in South America, um, and kind of what it might indicate about what he's doing this year. Uh, the Pope has a very packed schedule this year. He's going in July, just a couple days from now. He comes back, um, and will again then be going to Cuba and the United States. And then we'll be starting the Synod of Bishops, which is a global meeting of bishops that has attracted a lot of attention um, because it's going to be talking about family life issues. So it fits into that larger context of kind of what the Pope's message is for the year. But at the same time, the Pope is going to be having a, a, a kind of a breakneck speed of meetings in the three countries, in Ecuador, Bolivia, and Paraguay. Um, he'll be meeting with bishops in each, in each country, with the presidents and the political authorities, but also with um, people working in hospitals, uh, people in the kind of the worker community, and more broadly with youth and people who are poor or impoverished. Um, so it's a bit of a message of right on the ground, personal one-on-one -on -one touch of the Pope, and then also the wider sphere of what's going on with him and what he's been choosing to do over the past uh, two years. This Pope is certainly known for his personal touch and wanting to be close to people. And you mentioned the the family issues conferences that, that will be coming up later in the Pope's agenda during the year. Certainly that is also going to be on his agenda in Philadelphia when he comes to the United States. Uh, but I'm interested in these particular three countries. Uh, recently, we have um, chatted on this program about the Pew survey 
of uh, religion in Latin America. And the idea that at least uh, some of these countries are really the backbone of Catholicism in South America, particularly Paraguay, which tends to be the most Catholic country by percentage in Latin America right now. So um, is this the Pope going to Latin America to really um, shore up the base of, of the people who are really um, strong Catholics in the Andean region? Yeah, I don't know if it's, I don't know if that's kind of how the Pope thinks. Um, he tends to be someone who talks about the church going forth, the church being on mission, um, the church kind of getting outside of itself, getting outside of its own structures to help those in need and to kind of give witness to uh, the words of Christ or the teaching. Um, and I don't know if he's someone who focuses so much on the numbers or on what's happening where, or how much. Um, but es but especially in Paraguay, he's going to be spending about two and a half, three days coming directly there from Bolivia, um, where he's going to meet the bishops, which has become a staple of his meetings. He always sits down with the bishops, normally talking pretty frankly with them about what he wants from the church. But then he's also going to celebrate two outdoor masses, um, which are expected to have record-breaking number of crowds. Um, he's also going to meet with this pediatric hospital of uh, uh, that cares for children, um, and also meet with um, a population in the Banyado Norte, um, where people are expected it to be a pretty uh, personal, kind of heart-to-heart -heart moment from the Pope. What we've seen in the past few trips uh, in the Philippines, and then just last week the Pope went to Turin, the country, um, the city in the north of Italy, um, and he often just throws away the text says it's a good document, he, they're glad they put it together, but he gives it to whatever official is there at the time and kind of just speaks from the heart, feels what people need. Um, a lot of times there'll be someone or a group who will ask him questions. Um, for example, in Turin, he was with some youth. They asked him three questions about life today, and the Pope went everywhere and talked about everything and nothing left on the table. Um, and so for a lot of people... Um, you know, the Pope is normally speaking in Italian, but on this trip he'll be speaking in his own language, Spanish, and we're wondering if that's going to be even more intense, and the Pope might even be a little bit more off the cuff and talking about issues that are really affecting people in these countries, which are so different from the issues in Europe. I'm wondering very much uh, about some of these family issues that you brought up. We're in a climate now in the United States passed the U.S. Supreme Court decision about same-sex marriage, uh, same-sex marriage uh, approved by the Supreme Court in Mexico very recently. Um, this is one of those issues that tends to come up uh, wherever the Pope travels is the church's view on the LGBT community, on the lesbian, gay, transgender community. He has said before, who is he to judge about someone's sexual identity. Do you see that as an issue that is going to come up, or maybe some of these other issues that tend to be family issues? Well, I think you made a good point in identifying that line, who am I to judge, because he said that the last time he was in Latin America, coming back from that trip to Brazil in the press conference. So it's something he talked about last time uh, on the way back from Latin America. Um, and I think what many of us are seeing is there's just a... a, a there hasn't been a change in teaching in the church about uh, marriage or about what the church believes of marriage or believes it was told uh, by Jesus, but there's a very different change in tone. Um, the Pope talks about welcoming people, um, about meeting, meeting them where they are, listening to them. 
Um, today I was interviewing Chicago's Archbishop uh, Blaise Supic, who's in Rome uh, this week uh, for a ceremony at which he gets a something called a pallium, which is a piece of liturgical cloth that identifies him with the Pope, and it's a part of a bond with the Pope. And I asked him about the the, the U.S. Supreme Court's recent decision, um, and he chose to emphasize the fact that he knows many um, gay families, that they express love, and that the Catholic Catechism calls on Catholics to respect um, gay people and gay families. And he said that that respect can't just be rhetorical. Um, and so obviously the church uh, teaches a certain thing about marriage, about what marriage is, but it seems the tone is really shifting. That hasn't always been the case for Catholicism, specifically in Latin America or in the Americas as a whole, that that members of the LGBT community have not always been uh, welcome. There are certainly churches that, that make that exception, but that doesn't tend to be the standard church teaching. Well, I think I think it is the standard church teaching. That I think, as I said, the Catholic Catechism, which has been around since the 80s, is very clear on respect uh, for gay people um, and how to treat one another. I think the question is, how have the bishops lived out that teaching? Um, and that's a key question facing the Pope now. He's setting a certain tone. He's setting a certain way of going forward, of talking about the church, of what the church should be doing, getting out of itself, going into the world, going to the peripheries, all these words that we've heard so much now. And the question are the question really remains if bishops around the world are following that tone, if they're enthusiastic about it, if it's something that will last beyond um, Pope Francis's tenure. And I think what we're seeing is slowly that's happening. Um, when the Supreme Court decision in the U.S. came down on Friday, we saw many different statements from bishops, um, but there seemed to be a clear division. There were some bishops who were saying, you know, we un we the church teaches a certain thing, um, but at the same time we respect and love and meet with gay people. And there were other bishops who were taking a much more firmer tone. Um, for example, the president of the U.S. Bishops Conference who said, called the decision a, a tragic error, which sets a very different tone um, than, than other bishops. And so I think the question is, how does Pope Francis's tone, how does his style, how does what he's doing translate over into churches around the world? Along those lines, you said that the Pope will be meeting with bishops uh, throughout the Andean region. Uh, beyond what he might tell them about same-sex marriage and the tone that he thinks is appropriate, what other specifics do you think might be on his agenda to talk about with those bishops? Well, I, I don't know for sure, but I would expect that the Pope will talk about poverty um, and ecology. Um, he has just released this encyclical letter, which is basically um, a very long letter that is the highest, pretty much considered the highest form of teaching of a Pope. Uh, came out a couple of weeks ago on environmental teaching, on ecology, um, in which he uh, pretty much bluntly embraced the scientific consensus on climate change, saying it's it's man-made and, ca and causing devastating effects around the world. But he tied that to, he tied ecological devastation and problems to poverty across the world and uh, the, the global capitalist market system, which he said doesn't provide for the poorest. And I think in this region of the world, We'll probably see the Pope talk about or uh, talk to the bishops about caring for those most in need, 
um, about leaving the church structures to to find those who need the need the church most, and um, to, to kind of bring the gospel to every every part of what they do. Thank you so much, Joshua McElwee, Vatican correspondent for the National Catholic Reporter, joining us today on Latin Pulse via Skype from Rome. Thank you for being our guest. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Coming up, more analysis of the Pope's second trip to Latin America. Stay with us. Democracy is synonymous with independence. Independence is synonymous with emancipation. Emancipation is synonymous with sovereignty. Sovereignty is synonymous with superiority. Superiority is synonymous with arrogance. Arrogance is synonymous with domination. And domination is synonymous with dictatorship. Dictatorship always finds its way. Amnesty International. Learn. Indignate. Act. Welcome back to Latin Pulse. Andrew Chestnut is a professor at Virginia Commonwealth University. He's also the author of several books, including Competitive Spirits, Latin America's New Religious Economy. We caught up with Chestnut during this program's recent trip to San Juan, Puerto Rico. Here's our on-location interview discussing the importance of the journey of Pope Francis to the Andes. One topic we covered was how the Pope has reinvigorated liberation theology, the idea that religion should consider the views of the poor first when influencing society. But what's really interesting is since he's become somewhat of a liberationist uh, in his two plus years at Pope, he has a real preference for the periphery. In fact, in a recent interview I coined him the Pope of the periphery. Because let me, let me back up a moment because we know that he's also, and we'll talk about this hopefully in another show, but we know he's going to Cuba as well in September, which will make the third papal visit to Cuba within the space of 12 years. Keeping in mind we're talking about an island nation of 13, 14 million uh, souls. You know, why, are they get, why is Cuba getting so much attention? And from I was, three different popes. From three different popes. And I'm thinking, what about Mexico, our second largest Catholic population on earth uh, with this terrible ongoing drug war and he's not going to Mexico and he apparently told the Mexican bishops that uh, you know Mexico's not on the periphery and so Cuba's on the periphery the Andean nations he's going to are kind of part of even the Latin American periphery as well and so he's got that that tandem goal there of course he's a Latin American Pope Latin American Catholicism in crisis. He's hopefully the agent to resurrect the church in Latin America, but he's, he's already been to Brazil, of course, which is no periphery. It's, the, it's actually the epicenter of everything. But he's going to go to these peripheral nations which you know, don't tend to get the same attention from the Vatican and haven't received the same frequency of papal trips, uh, perhaps you know, Cuba and, and Mexico and, and Brazil. Well, let's talk about Cuba and Mexico in particular. We see the Vatican getting much more attention from presidents of those countries. Um, President Peña Nieto talking to the Pope directly about, please come to Mexico, lobbying him about this. And, and we see Raul Castro making a special trip to the Vatican and admitting that he might even consider going back to Catholicism. So tell us about the influence of this particular pope to do something what I think a lot of people would see as truly a miracle if that happened. It's perfect, perfectly phrased, Rick, and what I think you're basically saying is 
the leading, by far, most important, most powerful, most popular Latin American politician today is our Argentine friend, Pope Francis. Uh, his popularity rates are sky high uh, in Latin America, in the U.S., throughout the world. And so he's, he's got all this political capita, capital, which we saw he recently put to the test in basically being the architect of brokering detente normalization relations between Cuba and the United States. And that's one of the reasons he's going to Cuba, is to, is to seal the deal there and help uh, you know, move things on so that the U.S. embargo is, is hopefully lifted there too. So, so he's also you know, the Pope of Diplomacy as well. And so, yeah, I mean, all Latin American politicians, we know that, we know that Peña Nieto in Mexico, of course, uh, uh, Dilma Rousseff in Brazil have just abysmal popularity ratings. So anybody who can be, do their photo op and, and be seen cavorting with the Pope, um, hopefully can get a few ticks up on the popularity meter as well. So, so yeah, I mean, he's really become one of the most influential political movers and shakers in the region because of his just uh, unprecedented popularity rates in only two years. Let's talk about this issue of detente because it seems like certainly the Vatican and the Canadians played a role in bringing the United States and Cuba together. But it seems as time goes on that the Vatican's role was very important, that, that there were catalysts that they provided to the process. And I'm not sure we know that whole story yet. But obviously seeing Raul Castro go to talk to the Pope as more or less a postscript. And it, he said it was a thank you for the, for the role that the Pope had played. That it's obvious that the Vatican was crucial to these changes. Yeah, and I, I think that really was facilitated by the fact that, as I alluded to before, since becoming Pope, to, to a large extent, he really has embraced, embraced liberation theology. Un, uh, he really hadn't before becoming Pope. And, and of course, you know, in Cuba, uh, Fide Brother Fidel Castro has done lots of interviews um, expressing his sympathy for liberation theology with one famous Brazilian journalist whose, whose name escapes me right now. And so, you know, the, the Cubans couldn't imagine a more sympathetic Pope in, in the figure of Pope Francis, who's all about the church of the poor, the preferential option for the poor, something the Cubans see themselves. And of course, as, as, as Raul Castro mentioned in, in, in his interviews, um, both he and his brother are the product of, of Jesuit educations. Some of the best education, if not the best education one can get in Latin America, historically was, was a Jesuit education. And so, um, and of course, Pope Francis is also our first Jesuit pope as well. And so lots of affinities there too. Anything that you see that the pope will be trying to do in this first round of trips to Latin America, and again, there's going to be a second round that will include the United States, but anything in particular that you see on his agenda? Yeah, I think he's really going to try to... Um, to excite the bases, especially youth, that was really palpable when uh, when I was covering his visit to Rio de Janeiro a couple couple years ago. Really had a special message to to the Catholic youth. Of course, you are the future of the church, and and you know he's also it doesn't get a lot of press, but he's also about evangelizing. I mean that's that's really job number one for the pontiff, and so you know he's he's made lots of statements basically telling 
Catholic priests that they're not bureaucrats. They need to get out from their comfortable parish offices and get out into the street and, and missionize, evangelize. And so I, I think it's going to be kind of a big pep rally type thing to try to mobilize the basis for evangelization. Because one irony here is that the Catholic charismatics in Latin America actually go to Europe to evangelize. And, you know, in the face of this massive loss to Pentecostalism, I think maybe the work's at home, right, among all these Latin American cultural Catholics who have no meaningful institutional ties with the institutional church are the ones you, th you think would be the target of evangelization rather than Portuguese and Spaniards and Italians. Not, not that they shouldn't be, but you think they'd give priority to their own lapsed Catholics in the region. So I think it mostly will be about mobilizing the base and, 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 and trying to re-evangelize all, all of those nominal cultural Catholics who, who don't have any meaningful institutional uh, relationship with the church. When we talk about youth and young people in general, one of the issues or several issues that they might be interested in would be marriage equity, adoption equity, rights for the LGBT community. And so I'm wondering, we, we've just recently seen this vote for LGBT rights in Ireland and the church's very traditional reaction to it. Do you anticipate there will be anything regarding LGBT rights, marriage equity, that will be on the docket that the Pope now, will be confronted with? I don't think so, particularly in these countries, because these are more conservative countries, socially conservative of Latin America. Um, where those really are more of an issue are the Southern Kong countries, Brazil and Mexico, but in the Andean countries and Central America, the majority, as, as we were talking about before, Protestants across the board in Latin America are opposed to same-sex marriage, abortion, a lot of these hot bushing issues, but the more, majority of Catholics in Andean nations and Central America are opposed to these as well. So I do not think it will be front and center on his agenda to these vis upcoming visits to Andean countries. No. Any other controversial issues you see that might arise? The big question for the near future is will this, this wild acclaim for Pope Francis translate into numbers? Will there be greater mass attendance and so far? Will there be a Francis bump? So far, it's really too early to tell. There's been some preliminary surveys in the U.S. which haven't shown that to happen. Uh, and Latin America, it's still too early. But will this, will this kind of palpable sense of excitement and, you know, we've got, we've got a pope like we've never had and he's one of ours, translate into numbers? That, that is really the key question, which we can't answer now. But if it doesn't, then the Catholic Church continues to be into trouble. Maybe that starts with the popularity of the name Francisco in Latin America. <laughs> yes, you know, sometimes some of, some of those who watch this closely um, can watch things too closely and forget. I'm reminded as I was thinking about, the, again, the recent beatification of Archbishop Oscar Romero that, you know, really outside of Central America, if you, even among Mexicans and Brazilians, if you asked most, most of them who Oscar Romero is, they might think he's a soccer player or in the Caribbean a baseball player. 
And so as large as these things might seem for those of us who watch this and those who are in the Catholic Church, um, we have to remember something like this took place 35 years ago and you know it happened in small Central American nation as well too. So, But yeah, the bigger picture is will this wild popularity translate into numbers for the Catholic Church? That is the crucial key question. Thank you so much. Andrew Chestnut of Virginia Commonwealth University. Join us on Latin Pulse today in San Juan. Thank you. Thanks for having me back, Rick. Great questions. Thanks for joining us for our special preview of the Pope's trip to the Andes. Latin Pulse will be returning to its usual time next week. Look for us online on Friday, July the 10th. If you'd like to send us your suggestions or comments, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud, or you may write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, at gmx.com. If you're looking for earlier editions of Latin Pulse, we're available in various locations on the web, including iTunes, Facebook, and Flipboard. You can also find us in the Brazilian online game, Minimundos. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, dot org, and then slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www.linktv.org slash Latin Pulse. Thanks for joining us this week on Latin Pulse. For our entire team, production assistant Sierra Hancock and producer Jim Singer, I'm Rick Rockwell. Escuchen nosotros. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced at the School of Communications at Webster University, the global university, headquartered in St. Louis, Missouri, with music copyright support through Webster University and Link TV. This program is copyright 2015 Las Rocas Productions. Music